Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. probably a more irrational fear of quicksand than I should have had. Now, I blame my grandpa. My grandpa on my mom's side was a John Wayne kind of guy. Every time I went to his house, there was always westerns on. If y'all, y'all know, some of y'all may know, some of y'all may not know what I'm talking about. Anytime I walked in the door, I could almost guarantee that I was going to hear or see a Western being played. And the funny thing was, in almost every Western, there was... There was a time that somebody fell into quicksand. And it was almost in every episode, if it was an episode like the Ponderosa, or if it was a movie, at some point, somebody was going to fall into quicksand, and they were going to get stuck. And so, at some point in my childhood, it registered that quicksand was going to be a big deal when I grew up. I'm 46. I've never fell in quicksand. I've never even been near it. I wouldn't know what quicksand looked like if I got near it, which I guess is I, maybe since I have a little something in the back of my head about it, I, maybe I would know what to do. But what's, what's the danger of quicksand, right? So the danger is that you get into it and you're trapped, at least according to the movies, and we know movies always tell us the truth. So you fall into quicksand and you get trapped, and the harder you struggle, what happens? the deeper you get. It was funny, even um, Star Wars brought quicksand back. I don't know if you're any Star Wars nerds here, but like Star Wars brought quicksand back in one of their episodes. And, um, but the, the more energy you expend, the less you get anywhere. And you're just there and you're flailing around. And eventually you either give up and you call for help and somebody comes along with lasso and ropes you and hooks you to their horse and drags you out. Or you die. The only salvation then is somebody the only salvation is somebody coming and, and getting you out. This past week, I listened to uh, a podcast with Mark Miller. Mark Miller's a, a big wig in Chick-fil-A, but he's not just Chick-fil-A, but he's also written, I can't tell you how many leadership books, just about being uh, proactive as a person, not just leadership in a company, but in your own life and in your home and in all those places where you're at. And, and he said, there's a way that this works into our minds with us swimming in quicksand. See, we get busy in life, right? And we, we all of a sudden we, we, we're going along and, and, you know, there's baseball games on Tuesday night. There's football games on Saturday. There's all this stuff we got going on. We got to come, you know, there's all this stuff happening. And all of a sudden we're trapped and we, we really feel like we're drowning. And we don't know what's happening. We don't know how to get out of it. We're stuck and we're quickly, we're, we're dying. I listened to him this week. He talked about the great resignation that took place at, during and after the pandemic that a lot of people quit their jobs, walked away from jobs they'd had for a long time. And he said, from his research and what he understands, said part of the reason that happened was because 
people looked at their own lives. They looked at the fragility of, of humanity. And they decided they didn't want to live that way anymore. They didn't want to do something day after day after day that was slowly killing them, that they were swimming in quicksand and it was killing them and they decided they didn't want to do it anymore. You see in your mind when you end up swimming in quicksand, like so many of us I think we do, it causes this immense sense of hopelessness. And without hope, life quickly becomes just pointless. When there's nothing out there to try and attain, when there's nothing out there that hopefully is better, when we're not working, and I'm going to talk about this again this morning from last week, when we're not living with the end in mind, when the end becomes so clouded that we can't even see it, what we do today becomes so foggy that, that it doesn't seem to have any point. And we struggle and we struggle and we struggle and we never, we never get anywhere and eventually we give up. We try all those things. We try under our own power. We yell and we, we work as hard as we can and we get deeper and we deeper, deeper and deeper. And you know, like I said, last week we talked about living with the end in mind with thoughtful wishing as C.S. Lewis put it. And when we live with that end in mind, then what the actions that I take today make sure that I meet that end that I want to meet one day. And so that life isn't pointless and life isn't hopeless and life isn't awful. At the end, we, last week we were in the first part of 1 Timothy chapter 1. In the second part of, of 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul talks a great deal about the grace and the mercy of God that was poured out on him in his life. And he talks about every, how bad of a person he was and how bad the things that he did was and how awful he was. And he said, but God, in His grace and His mercy, poured this out of me and now I am somebody else. Now I am endeavoring to live and be like somebody else. And so then in chapter 2, he jumps into chapter 2 and he says, I urge you then. That's kind of like that therefore, whenever we get a passage, we say therefore. Whenever you see a therefore in a passage, when Paul starts a Paul starts. After he says, therefore, you need to figure out what therefore is there for, right? And so he says, I urge you then, in light of the faith that he talked about last, last week that leads to love, this immense love that is the hallmark is a pure heart and, and a strong faith, and in, and in light of all the mercy that God has poured out on me, and in light of all the grace that God offers to me, I urge you then to go hate people. I urge you then to go judge people. I urge you then to go exclude people. Or I urge you to go do something that only serves your own needs. Or go achieve your own goals. Or go break every record. No, he says, the first thing I want you to do, in light of all those things, the first thing I want you to do is pray. That's the same verse from the message. And I like what Eugene Peterson says. The first thing you do, in light of all of that stuff, the first thing you ought to be doing is praying. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Is that too simple? I'm afraid sometimes people get in front of us, and, especially, and I listen to a lot of stuff, and I read a lot of stuff, and sometimes I read and I think, that's just really not helpful. I'll tell you what happened to me one time. I was teaching a Bible class, and I... I hung on one of those pithy little phrases, you got to let go and you got to let God. That's one of those things that everybody just kind of kicks around whenever something's going on and be like, you got to let go and you just got to let God. 
And so I had an elder's wife, right, <laughs> come up to me after the lesson. And she was like, Josh, I don't know how to do that. And I was like, well, you got to let go and you got to let God. But I don't know how to do that. And I don't think that it's too simple, though, for us to say that prayer is a place where everything starts. The prayer is a place where everything begins. Paul says, in light of everything, amazing thing that's happened in my life, I'm not encouraging you to go save the world. What I'm encouraging you to do is pause and be about your relationship with God. One of the things that gets tossed around, especially on social media, whenever something really bad happens, is you can just get onto social feeds and you can see people saying thoughts and prayers and thoughts and prayers and thoughts and prayers. And, and it almost becomes this weapon, uh, that we, this thing we weaponize to where we kick that out there, that, that it becomes the, the solution to everything, which it, it's a sad reality because we take it and we abuse it out of context because thoughts and prayers aren't bad things. Paul's talking about intentionally praying first in life. Now, it's not a silver bullet or a lasso that's going to come along and save you from quicksand, right? Paul is saying, in light of everything, the first thing I want you to do is to pray. All right, Paul, I got this. God, watch over my family. God, watch over the ones I love, the things that are important to me. Amen. Like, do you think that's Paul's intent, that, that our prayers be in-house? if you will. I fully believe that all of Paul's writings are specific. They're situational, if you will. Paul wrote intending to address specific situations in specific times to specific people. I don't think that Paul ever imagined that 2,000 years after he wrote these letters to Timothy that we'd be sitting here in Hermitage, Tennessee talking about him. I don't think that was in Paul's mind. I don't think he had any concept of the letters he wrote to Ephesus and, and all those other places that those would even go past the doors of the church where he sent them to, much less, again, thousands of years into the future. So what was happening in Ephesus as he was writing to Timothy, as we see in chapter 1, what was happening here that Paul was, was needing to address? Because it kind of sounds like he's writing it directly to us, doesn't it? That's one of those things where like, we can almost take that and push it over to where we are. He's saying, I want you to pray for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. Now, I didn't talk about this last week, but last Sunday was the 21st anniversary of the attacks of 9-11. I still remember where I was, what time of day it was, what I was doing when I heard what was going on in our nation. Like That's, that's a vivid memory for me. That night we gathered the church building to pray and the assignments were given out to various guys to what they wanted them to pray for. And I think I drew the short straw because I was asked to pray for our enemies. And I didn't, I'll be honest with you, I really didn't want to. Like it was, it was still too fresh, it was still too raw, it was very difficult. I remember sitting on the couch that night as Olsen and I were sitting there and the news wasn't helping any because they kept showing the loop over and over, the planes flying into those buildings and it was just so much. And to be honest, I didn't know what to say. And even though we're not in the same situation, our current social and political climate is very ugly right now. And I dare say there's 
a refusal on many people's parts to pray for certain groups or certain people. And that's often predicated on which political engine you ascribe to, right? Which one you get up in the morning and you listen to as to whether you're going to pray for the other side. And perhaps it's not too different from what Paul was talking about. And no doubt some of you right now are churning in your own head, well, all they care about is, and all they want is, and some of you are saying in your own mind right now, not even Jesus could help them. (laughs) I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. And so there's not a, an option. There's not a B option, right? Now you can pray for everybody, but then the ones in this column you don't have to pray for. But here's the part that I think we miss, that I think we really need to dwell on. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Let's define it, right? Godliness is the state or the quality of being godlike. Holiness is the state or the quality of being set apart. And so Paul is saying that we may live peaceful and quiet lives being set apart for God. Period. Now here's where it's going to get difficult. Every age, every culture... Every generation, every nation has come up with its own brand of Christianity. It's not entirely a bad thing. Each serves its time period. I don't read from the King James Version because we don't talk like that anymore. That's one of those things that's moved from one generation to the next. Now this is a hard and a bitter pill for some of us to swallow because what we in the back of our minds are saying, aren't we all trying to be just like Jesus? Well, yes and no. Yes, we are all trying to be like Jesus, but no, we are not because each manifestation is heavily informed by the culture that it finds itself in. Now, I'm not here to judge the validity of the past attempts, but to engage with where we are and determine where we are and the work that we need to do to get better. Because if life is taught anything, the only way to grow is through thorough and critical self-examination. That's the only way we'll grow to beyond where we are. I heard a guy say that the only person that you're listening to is your your, your spot. Did you get that? Person, I'm going to grab this mic. We keep cutting out here. If the only person that you're listening to is yourself, if the only person rattling around inside your head is yourself, then you're in a dangerous position. You're in a dangerous spot. And I think as we look at the brand of Christianity, I know we don't like to say it like this, but I think if we look at the brand of Christianity that America has today, would unbelievers look at us and would they say that we are being faithful and true to things like love and grace and peace and mercy? And you don't have to like the language I'm using or the tags that I'm using. But we have to look critically at the the witness that we are giving to the world. 
and ask if we are doing our best. Because in my own life, you know what, I can say, well, my life is hard and I'm doing the best I can and I'm, I, that's just all I got for you. You can take it or leave it. But if I really want to grow and become and grow into what God has created me to be, and then I have to look and I have to say, okay, what do I need to change or what do I need to adjust? And I think this is the place to start. At the very least, we need to make sure that our citizenship in heaven is more important than our citizenship anywhere else. At the very least, we need to make sure that the world knows and the world understands that our goal is to go to heaven one day. To be with God. The end in mind that we are living to is to be children of God. And that is what is leading us and that is what is driving us and that is who we are. He said, this is good. And it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of Him. Paul said, this is the work of the Gospel. This is what we've been called to. He again, once again, he steps back and says, okay, look, this is the task at hand. God is reconciling the world back to Himself. And in reconciling the world back to Himself, He wants all people, that's everybody, it's not just the people that look like you and the people that sound like me and the people that act like me. It's not just that group of people. It is the entire world. God wants all of His people, God wants all people to be reconciled to Him and He wants all of His people to participate in that effort. And we can't do that. At the end of the day, the bottom line is, we cannot do that if we are constantly at odds with everyone and everything about everything. Like we just can't. If I'm constantly fighting with my boys, I cannot love them like I need to love them. I just can't do it. If I'm constantly at odds with my children, my two boys, I cannot raise them in what God is calling me to raise them. We can't be about God's work if we are constantly fighting over the theme of the day. And some of us get up every morning and turn on social media. Listen to me, I'm, I'm old, right? Turn on social media. Most of us get up every morning and we check social media to see what the argument of the day is. So we know what to be angry about and we know what to go out and argue about. Here's a novel idea. Stop looking at social media. Here's another, here's another novel idea. Just go and love people. Because God wants some people, your people, all people, to come to a knowledge of Him. For there is one God and one mediator between heaven and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave Himself as ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Now, this is one of those couple verses that we're looking at and we're like, why is why is Paul talking about one God? And why is, this doesn't connect for us because we don't have any concept of multiple gods, at least not ones that we're willing to admit. In that day and time, though, they had a lot of things competing for who God was and who God is. They had the Roman ideology of a pantheon of gods where there was a God for everything. And then they also had the ancient Near East traditions of a, you had a God for fertility and you had a God for war. You had a God for planting. You had a God for reaping. You had a God for everything. And so Paul was stopping to say, look, hey guys, there is only one God. And 
And for this purpose, I was appointed as a herald and apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Now, I, it was hard to be Paul. And I felt bad for Paul. I feel bad for Paul. But he is living the results of his choices. He's living the consequences of his choices. He's dealing with the reality that he spent so much time trying to destroy this thing that he is now working so hard to grow. And so every time he turns around, he's like, no, really. Jesus came to me. No, really. He appointed me to this. No, I'm not lying. This is my job. But bad choices don't go away overnight, do they? So now every time he turns a corner, he's like, no, seriously. This is who I am. And so he says, therefore, what is it there, therefore? Because of what we just talked about, right? Therefore, I want the men everywhere to be praying, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Therefore, in light of all these things, pray. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Listen to the difference. Not because you have to pray, but because you get to pray. This is not a burdensome and a difficult task. Before Jesus, you know what they had to do? They had to go to the tabernacle, and they had to offer the sacrifice, and they had to make sure they were okay, and they had to make sure everything was good. And then once they made sure everything was okay, and they made sure everything was good, then they could go to the high priest and say, look, we need this. And so then the one high priest was the only one who could go talk to God. There was no direct access. And we don't even think about that anymore, do we? Like That's not something even in our understanding. But now, anywhere, anytime, it's me and God. It's like having the greatest resource ever and we're not even taking advantage of it. The Rocky Mountain State Park, the rangers there will tell you they lose about seven people there every year. Now, I didn't do the deep dive to see if that was seven people died or if seven people just got lost. But at that state park, they'll tell you that seven people get lost there every year. And you know why? There's two reasons. Number one, they go alone. And number two, they don't tell anybody they're going. I'm not a hiker. I mean, look at me. I'm not a hiker. So that doesn't resonate. But can you imagine setting out in life and we don't even invite the one who made life along for the journey? Setting out on a new job and not even bringing God along in the process or choosing a new job, choosing a new path, choosing to get married, choosing to have kids, and going through that whole process and not even inviting God to be part of it seems a bit silly, but God wants to talk to you. God wants to be, God wants to have the type of relationship with you where there's not this moment where you've got to go find a dark space to stop and talk to Him, where it's just almost like a steady stream of consciousness between you and God. 
The other side of this is sometimes why this comes about and why some people go hiking without telling anybody or without letting anybody know and going alone is because we're very self-sufficient people. As a nation, we celebrate people who are self-sufficient. Those are the type of people who are the leaders and we're like, woo, you did it. And they'll step back and they'll say, I did it all by myself. I didn't rely on anybody. It was up to me, so I made it happen. And so we handcuff ourselves, right? We choose at the end of the day to swim in quicksand rather than do and make meaningful things or make meaningful decisions that will change that. And there's no secret sauce. There's no magic formula. There's just a starting where you are and walking into that relationship with God and inviting Him along on the journey. Because guess what? God wants you to be successful in life. Now let me define success. Not make a million dollars. Not have the biggest house. God wants you to be successful in life to things that He's called you in life. Loving people. Praying for people. Inviting other people to be part of this work that He's a part of. And he wants that more than anything for all of us. There's no favored sons. There's no favored daughters. We're all at the same place. And he's inviting us, all of us, to the same destination. And so why not bring him along with us and invite him to be part of the journey with us? Will you pray with me? God, thank you for today. Uh, Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you, to the, thank you for the faith that you are imparting to us that draws those things and ingrains those things in our lives and helps, us, helps that to be a part of, of who we are and where we are and what we want to be and what you've called us to be. God, help us to love everybody. Help us to love even those people that don't look like us and don't sound like us and don't talk like us and don't think like us. Help us at the very least to start with just being willing to pray for people that we do not agree with and sometimes we don't even like. Thank you for Jesus because it's through Him that we have this avenue of prayer that we can at any moment, at any time, know that it's you and I and it's us together and that you're with us and you are cheering us on and you want us to get there. And help us to remember that and to embrace that and let that be a part of who we are and where we are and when we are. God, we love you so much. Walk with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Brian's going to come and lead us to the table. Come on, Brian. I'm going to talk a little bit more while you're walking up. I'll give you some walk-up music. Uh, (laughs) Do a slow walk. Uh, I appreciate the leadership and all of you all for allowing me to stand up here and speak. I left doing this type of work six years ago. No, eight years ago, right? End of 2014, I quit full-time ministry. And I never thought that this would be something I would do with any regularity. And I appreciate that for the past three months, you've let me do this regularly, and I've I've enjoyed it, and I hope that you have been, it's been beneficial. I hope God's spoken through me, but I appreciate that. And as we look to the future and walking with Woodmont, as time allows and opportunity allows, I'll be up here again, but I pray that God does some really good things here. And I know he will.
that's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.